the end of the day, are we all just working for the man? You know, the guys in charge of climate narratives, those that paint rosy pictures of how we should care about future generations, like your family being able to breathe while playing in scenic meadows, or what environmental responsibility looks like by saving endangered spotted whatevers while on vacation. I mean, come on, we all want that, right? But how do we bridge this growing market initiative with the rosy outcomes they're looking for? It seems the messy middle, as today's guest describes, is a little bit more convoluted and less than perfect. Be prepared for facts. You know the ones that policymakers cringe over? Yes, those. Put on your thinking caps in this two-parter series. Get ready to level up your powder coater game. Welcome to Ross Coates Powder Coater Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kim Scott, where we interview influencers, experts, and talk about powder coating to help you grow your powder coating biz. Today, I am super stoked. It's taken a while for us to get this on the docket here uh, because we're talking to a very special lady. Uh, This is Marty Sawyer from Trimac Industrial Coatings or Industrial Ovens, and she is Industrial the C- Systems. Industrial Systems, and she there is the CEO of Trimac. So I'm so happy to have you on the podcast because today's topic is hot, it's upcoming, it's trending, and you are in the thick of it. <laughs> so welcome to the For show. For good or bad. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I first got introduced to this presentation that you're going to talk about today uh, through PCI because I attend um, the occasional webinar at 5 a.m. in the morning, my time, because I'm in Hawaii. But um, so I'm usually with my coffee in the middle of the dark, (laughs) you know. You know we record those, don't you? And you can watch them later. (laughs) I do. I do. But I'm like, no, I have to see this now live. Um, Anyways, I got introduced to this topic I know that you've been working on this very, very important topic because, and what I, what I thought was refreshing about it was that you're also going to explain to us the basics of climate change or some of the, I don't know, for lack of a better word, some of the mandates or expectations that uh, businesses are supposed to endure (laughs) um, regarding climate change, sustainability, and being a what they want us to be a clean business, right? So I remember attending Powder Coating Week a couple of years ago where Axel Nobel had done some kind of report to kind of just go ahead and point the finger to the greater industry of manufacturers saying, um, we're the powder suppliers and creators of powder. Uh, so we're not the dirty business. You guys are the dirty business. And that really just didn't sit right with me. But I guess they had to start somewhere and they wanted us to kind of get that out there to say, hey, look, we need to start looking at ourselves first. Um, I still don't agree with that. But uh, that's why when I stumbled upon your webinar, I felt like this is the perfect time to kind of start the conversation because I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation 
about climate change, about what they expect from us as powder coaters um, and stuff. But before we get started with that, I want to just give us an overview of what TriMac is and how long you've been, how'd you get started, you know, and uh, just a little bit of a background about yourself. Great. Thank you. Um, so TriMac Industrial Systems, we're based in Kansas City. And uh, we celebrate our 20th year in about a month. So that's cool. Whoa. Yeah. And we, we uh, uh, bought, uh, my partner and I bought another company that uh, wasn't doing so well after 9-11. And about five, six years ago, I bought another company, uh, Protherm, which is electric infrared. And the original company we bought was called Infrared Technologies. So it was uh, supposedly created the first infrared powder coating oven in existence. I don't know if that's a fact or not, but that's what the claim was. Okay. And uh, at that time, also Millbank Systems, which was an old, big, well-known uh, systems house in Kansas City, had gone out of business. Also, a lot of 9-11 and a few other things. And we ended up with a lot of their engineers. So that kind of put us on uh, the path of being a systems house. So that brought us uh, convection designs mm -hmm. and pretreatment designs. And there also was a division that did parts washers. So belt washers, you know, top loaders, the turntable type washers you might see. And so off we were to the races and we started off the business. Actually, my partner, who's an engineer, um, ran sales and we never quite got where we wanted to be as long as an engineer ran sales. We didn't really get on the radar until I took over sales. Um, I started off my career in the steel business. Mm -hmm. So uh, selling steel, cutting steel. You know, I've been in heavy industry my whole life. And it was in a family business, uh, fifth generation. Uh, started in 1857. So it was an oldie but goodie. And uh, so, you know, I knew nothing about this when I got right. into it. I mean, I took high school physics. That was it. So, it, you know, I, I, I said, Robert, you know, I get how to run the business. I get the finances and I get the operations. But God, I have known nothing about heat. And um, fast forward. Oh, it's about 2014, about that time when I took over sales and you know, the first thing, you know, infrared has always been our special sauce, starting in gas catalytic. And when I first started, I said, I don't get it. And he's like, well, what do you mean you don't get it? I'm like this. I, I know we make infrared. I've seen it work. I know it works. I don't get it. I don't get how it works. We use this language like it's heating from the inside out. That makes no sense to me. I just don't get it. So right. I did a lot of research and a lot of reading and taught myself the physics and, and to some degree the chemistry of how heat and particularly infrared influences powder coatings. And that was really interesting. And so I started doing, uh, I did a white paper and then I started getting involved in PCI and CCAI mm -hmm. and started, um, I got the bright idea to do speeches. And I remember my first speech where somebody asked, it was terrifying the first time I did it. Uh, but I remember one of the speeches, I was like, oh God, I hope you don't ask a question I can't answer. And the first couple, there were a few people that uh, cooked my noodle a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I, I came up with some, you know, I love to talk. So I came up with some roundabout answer to something. 
I don't think I was wrong, but I probably wasn't very specific. And now I'm very comfortable with it. I do speaking a lot. And then I got into expanding the universe because, you know, we're a small business. You know, like most small businesses, you wish you had a million dollar marketing budget, but you don't. So how do you get the word out? Because in our industry, you know, selling equipment, you get referred or you get found. Right. So the found you work on with your website, you know, that's a constant journey. I'm I'm getting ready to do a project to redo this website yet again. I actually like it. I think it's pretty well, good. I appreciate it. But it, uh, you know, I need new pictures. I don't have a marketing yeah. person in-house and I desperately need one. But so if anybody out there wants to come work for me, give me a call. Yeah. But off the subject, um, the idea of uh, how you communicate the message, what are you trying to say? And right. you know, I don't want to go too far off. It's called the, the customer the journey. It's called the yeah, customer the journey. journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I knew to be referred um, takes a long time in our industry. Mm-hmm. And you think about equipment, equipment's supposed to last um, 30 plus years. Right. Some people's, you know, people start ROIs at around 15 years from what I've seen. But so, okay, 15 years, that's a big trust play. So when you buy a piece of equipment, we always say that the person who did the specification and picked us is going to get an attaboy if he does it right. And Mm. if he did it wrong with us or anybody else, he's going to get fired. And that's kind of how it works. So you really have to be able to trust your vendor that they're, you know, they're going to make something that's going to last, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And, you know, that's something we've really focused on, you know, because we make a very robust piece of equipment. But a lot of people didn't get in for it. I wasn't the only one. But because I was self-taught, it was easier for me to explain just the practicality of how does it work. You know, make it very common sense, very plain English. I can go into any room and I can talk to people who know nothing about infrared. And I'm talking about sunshine. Or I can go in a room with a bunch of engineers and talk about, you know, thermal transfer. Because I've, you know, I've learned a lot yeah. since yeah. this started. And then I got into doing research on conduction, which is really the methodology that powders actually cure. Uh, because it is the hot air molecule, you know, the air molecule or the radiation, whatever it may be. The powder itself, the part cures itself in a lot of cases. When we talk about thick synthens and um the part will heat up because air doesn't turn corners any better than infrared does. Mm -hmm. But, um, and that's a whole nother conversation we can get into if you want to, but uh, where the next piece that took me was on sustainability. Because I remember the first time I even heard the term sustainability was about 10 years ago. And I was like, what is this term? What does it mean? And it just sounded so, pie in the sky and warm and fuzzy and just not practical, not pragmatic. And, you know, you keep reading and all the articles come out and say, you know, carbon, you know, climate change, climate change, climate change. And, you know, I'm not trying to save the world. You know, (laughs) I don't even care about the politics uh, in this environment about the politics of climate change. I care about our regulations and our ability to be successful business people. So what is that going to take? Regardless of how you feel about something, if there's a regulation coming, you're going to have to deal with it. It's just as simple right. as that. You, you can 
complain all you want and go home and kick your dog if you need to about what the world's coming to, you know, your left, your right, doesn't matter. Point is, you have to go to work and make a buck and you have to take care of your customers. and You have to be the selected one and you have to be referred. And, you know, how does all that work? Well, what I kept finding was that the more education I do, the more likely I am to be referred. Because Mm -hmm. I I even take it back to the uh, last big recession Uh, in our industry, it really struggled on the equipment side because all the monument engineers got laid off and they Mm -hmm. haven't been replaced at all the multi-billion dollar companies. So the depth of knowledge in some of these large companies is sometimes pretty light. Sometimes they got fabulous people, but some of them... You know, it's an engineer a year out of college, and he's never run across the intricacies of power coatings and thermal transfers, and he took a class in college. That's not going to work for what we do. So the more I can talk about this and educate people, the more likely, you know, I'm trying to help my own company. I mean, who am I kidding? I'm trying to to sell ovens. (laughs) That's all I'm trying to do. (laughs) And uh, I'll sell a washer too, but, you know, I'm just trying to sell ovens. And... uh, (laughs) When I do that, all of this started that. And I sat there and I said, all right, I'm doing some research on this. And I got involved in IHEA, which is the Industrial Equipment Manufacturers. Did I get the right? Industrial Heating Equipment Manufacturers Association. No, there's no M in there. Anyway, um, and that's mostly furnace people, heat treating, right. so real high temperature stuff. And they, the first meeting, they started talking about this. And I'm like, wow. So they're way, you know, in their way a little further ahead ahead. than we are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Way, way, way. That's a good thing, I think, because there's so much to glean from them. Right. You know, and that you can apply into, you know, what, how and how it affects our industry. Um, I think that it's awesome. Just a couple comments on Trimac in just like uh, anticipating when you're doing such a long stretch how do you anticipate, not to get off topic, because I know we, we're kind of going into this uh, climate thing. Um, Trimac has an incredible, it seems like you have to anticipate the future in this sense mm-hmm. within your own company, because these people have these long buys, right, where they're trying to get as eke out as much productivity out of what they're purchasing, and then they have to anticipate their needs in the future, whether they know what they are or not right? Um, at the moment, right? So that's a huge, uh, boon for you guys. If you can, you know, that you've arrived at as a company to even understand that, right. You know, as I don't think a a lot of them do, uh, that in terms of what you were getting at with the, um, you know, becoming educating and educating others Mm -hmm. too, is that, we're looking at obsoleteness, right? Or obsolence, obsolescence, right? Easy for you to say. <laughs> it's not. Um, and, you know, if, and this is something that we talked about on a recent show where uh, we were talking about the automotive industry and how this is these same regulations um, and things that they want us to do are actually pushing others to, um, 
being forcing them out, you know, either they have to educate and and get the the certifications or the the ABC letters behind their businesses or their technicians or whatever, because the technology is getting more complex in cars and 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 all of that. So, um, I think that's you know they seem to be headlining it now with automotive the automotive industry just because the automotive industry is huge. But I. I think it's something to be looking at in terms of how it's going to relate to us as manufacturers um, in the future. And I think it's awesome that you have have this presentation available to us to talk about today, uh, because if you're not having it even in your awareness, uh, you should be and you should be planning what you're going to do about it in the future. Right. There is a definite stake here with everybody that's listening today to heed what you're saying and and what we're sharing about today. So again, thanks for coming on the show um, because I, I find Thank it- Thank you for having me. I think I see it here in Hawaii just because we're, uh, you know, we're extremely liberal state and we've, you know, I've said this before, those silly guys running the, uh, running the state have promised the world that Hawaii- would be first to be 100% sustainable and 0.5 years before everybody else? Well, oh, there's so much in there to unpack. Um, it, it's, start with where you start with the TriMac. Part of my strategy has always been, because uh, I'm an incredibly curious person. And when you can decide something interests you and you just go out to your lab and start working on it. You know, a lot of times I'm out there with them testing because I'm just curious. So it allows us a lot of opportunity for innovation that uh, some other companies may not make that kind of investment, but it's because something I'm passionate about and it's something I want to do and something I want the answer to. You know, I don't know if I can make any money off of it, but I'm just curious as to why this is the way it is. And my gut has just told me that if I can figure out a way to help others, if I'm curious about it, somebody else is too. Mm -hmm. And then if I can figure out a way to share that information and you can, you know, the branding of yourself, which wasn't really my tactic, but it's kind of turned out that way that, you know, I love, I love to speak. I didn't know that's something I wanted to do in my life. And now, you know, you give me a subject, I can talk about it. And this has been one that has allowed us to strategically be in front of the rest of the industry, partly because we have a technical solution for where some of the challenges are. So it's a lot easier to address a problem when you say, hey, look, I can solve this problem. You just got to, you know, come talk to me. I, 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 you know, I can solve two problems at once. Just let me know. Uh, when you don't have any solutions available, it's a lot harder to have these conversations. Because that's the long play of just saying, I'm just building brand awareness to the company and that kind of stuff. So, of course, that's what got me interested in it, because so there's so much misunderstandings of infrared in our industry. You know, we still get that comment of it's voodoo. You know, how do it work? The, the, the thermos kind of article, how does, you know, it keeps things hot hot things hot and cold things cold. How does it know? You know, we get those kinds of very basic questions from people that are pretty far into this industry. 
So when you look at how to educate and what are you going to do with all this information and how do you share it? Um, I, I said, you know, if I can figure out how to do more research and publicize that research, I'm going to be so far ahead. Now, I also have the benefit of I make convection ovens, I make catalytic infrared ovens, and I make electric infrared ovens. So I can look at the whole span and be agnostic to a technology, mm-hmm. which gives me a little bit of a different viewpoint because, you know, who are we kidding? There's nothing wrong with it, but you're going to sell what you make. I mean, that's what you're in business to do. So when you can make the entire range, you can look at things a little bit differently because I don't care what kind of oven somebody wants to buy. I just want to sell an oven. So if they want convection, I'll sell them convection. If they want catalytic, if I want, if they want me to combine them, you know, I can put all three together. Uh, I'm doing a lot of work on combining two together to sit there and say, how would all this work? But then I look at it and I say, okay, now let's go to the value proposition side. I mean, I, I can sell the old joke of, you know, you can sell a hammer or, or you can sell, you know, putting a nail yeah what, what is that saying you can sell a nail or a hammer I don't remember anyway there's a little saying about that that somebody's thinking about it as they're listening to this and knows exactly what I'm trying to say <laughs> uh, but I can't come up with it right now um, so h- how can I take this in such a way and say it, it's not just I'm trying to sell the solution of providing heat I'm trying to figure out how to solve multiple pain points that differ per company because people always ask me that question about what's the best infrared or this or that. And I'm always, it's, it depends. There's no perfect technology. There's, there's an optimal technology for what you're doing, but there's a lot of times multiple technologies that can do it. You're just, it's always a trade-off. No matter what you're doing, it's a trade-off. So, you know, to bring that all back to climate change and what are we doing with ovens and how is that going to work and why do we care? Um, it, I started thinking about Uh, combustion, because the idea of complete combustion, which is the idea that there's no CO made, it's taking all the hydrocarbon, your your CH4, your your natural gas, and converting it all into, uh, you know, it's using the hydrocarbon plus air, and it's making CO2 and water vapor. That's the physics of combustion, no matter how you do it. Mm -hmm. We all work on the same physics. And if you look at composting, which is very, very slow combustion, but you know, it creates okay. heat. Right. Uh, and you look at very fast combustion, which is like an explosion. So, you know, you have this huge range. Well, I always thought of combustion as it doesn't begin until there's a, a flame. Well, as I learned, you know, that's not true. And that was interesting from a catalytic standpoint when I was trying to sell, you know, you go into hazardous locations or anything's flammable or anything like that. But, you know, there really wasn't, nobody really cared that much. Well, now that we're into carbon reduction and we look at it and it, it took me a while to figure it out. But then when I finally figured out how to measure all this stuff, you know, it's like, oh my God, that's so cool. I didn't know that. And, um, you know, the, the very simplest of answers is that you take a convection oven and you're going to do the exact same work. You know, it's not the same BTUs. You know, because you can't you can't compare those two exactly number for number because it depends on what you're doing. But if you just take the same work, I'm going to take, you know, this water bottle and I'm going to do at 10 feet a minute and I want to do X one of those water bottles um, Mm -hmm. an hour. 
And so tell me how the oven would be set up. And then you look at convection and you look at catalytic. And as a general rule, you can say you can do the same amount of work in a third amount of the time. Because that's what most people used to care about. Mm-hmm. How fast? Throughput, throughput, throughput. Right. Now I'm looking at it and saying, well, I'm using a, you know, basically a third of the gas, worst case half. And saying, if I'm saving the gas, if you assume both have complete combustion, which they should, if they're properly tuned, you know, properly tuned burner on the convection or properly tuned uh, catalytic heaters, they both should have complete combustion, which means no CO, all goes into CO2. But if you start off with a third of the gas, you got a third of the CO2. It's, it's not rocket science. Right, right. And once I realized it's that simple, I'm like, oh boy, I'm gonna have fun with this. Um, and I'm still working on data and test results. And you know, I'm looking at third-party validations of all this kind of stuff. So they know it's just not me because I have an agenda. I'm trying to sell stuff. Right. Um, but the more I can get third-party validations of all this, the better off the industry is. I mean, you know, I'm right. helping my catalytic cost- competitors as well because uh, we're all selling the same technology. We may do it a little differently, but uh, it's still the same technology. And once I figured that out, then I was like, okay, now we got something we can measure and we can give people choices. And then when you add electric in, you know, that's obvious what the choice is, but that doesn't really address how people can comply with the upcoming regulations. You, you intuitively may know it. You may conceptually believe it, you, you may absolutely believe it, but you can't uh, produce a report for your customer saying I saved X percent. Right. Right. So, and yeah, that's where I started with concept. And then we start going to the realities of the world that we live in. Yeah. Um, and why don't we get into it? I'll bring up the PowerPoint here in a second. Did you get my email about that one? Uh, Senator? Yeah. He was on the news again today. I heard a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, in the news yesterday was New York State outlawed gas uh, stoves. uh, They did. Yep. I'm like, oh, my God, you guys go take a physics lesson. Just if if that was as true as they're saying it, we all of our cooks in every restaurant in the world would all be dead from cancer and have asthma now. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's just some obvious numbers that, I think okay, so just, if you want to say yeah. it's children, mandate an exhaust fan. <laughs> there we go. Now it's full screen. Here we go. Um, so I like these little headers because it kind of presents itself as to what we're about to talk about. And we're just, we're just taking baby steps here, Marty. This might be right. one of those like continuing kind of things because it's a lot to digest to digest and it's also and you have to think about it as you're talking about this I encourage the audience to really think about what she's saying and how she's saying it because it 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 requires that kind of deeper thinking and of how how it how the our industry is going to take its step forward into it you know because there are people out there that either know or presenting us as a dirty business, you know, to some extent we are uh, because if we're doing restoration work, then that adds another layer or level to it. Uh, But mainly it's because of the ovens, right? So 
All right. So let's talk about, is this where you want to start? That's fine. Okay. Do you want me to go through it? Do you want to just yeah. ask questions? I think we should just, just um, start when we, you know, we'll just go through this, you know, what is a carbon footprint? Now we've got to remember that some people are listening and not seeing these slides. So we probably have to describe the slide a little bit, but this first slide, uh, the title is what is a carbon footprint? So let's talk about that. It says your carbon footprint is the total amount of greenhouse gases produced directly or indirectly during the performance of the manufacturing process expressed in equivalent tons of carbon dioxide CO2 emissions. So um, what people, th this next slide is the one that if you take nothing away, this is the one you need to understand. Yeah. So scope one, scope two, scope three, you should have, you might have heard that mentioned, but this is where everybody's all backwards on what they're trying to do. So scope one is the emissions that you directly control. So that would be the emissions off your oven. That would be the emissions of, if you're running a gas generator in your building, that would be scope one. So it's within your control, your plant, you know, what's going up your stack. Uh, that's what's important in scope one. So in reality, that's all you can really control is yourself. So that's your scope one. So how, you know, when I'm trying to sell to people, I'm saying an infrared oven affects your scope one because it's going to put less emissions in the air. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what you got to understand. Where people start getting conflating a lot of issues is scope two, which is your fuel. So if you're using electricity that's powered by coal <laughs> or you're using electricity that's powered by solar, <laughs> yeah, uh, your scope two is actually very different. Yes, you're using electricity, but how is your you, you know, you, uh, electricity generated? So I have, I, I cover this in slides, but it's really kind of down in the weeds. I want to read um, three numbers. So if we sit there and think, and this is about scope two, and one more preface here. When we talk about EVs, you know, electric vehicles, and what everybody's trying to do, and they laugh about, you know, an EV in West Virginia is worse than, you know, driving a gas guzzler in California because of, you know, the scope two issue. Mm -hmm. And there's, remind me, um, to talk about this, but it, it's a, it'll take us in a different direction right now about uh, the grid, because I don't talk about that in this per se, but I do want to talk about it. So to make to make the energy and we're always thinking BTUs because that's the the energy we're using, but that's how you measure the the thermal power of the energy. And I converted the electric, the kilowatts to BTUs. You know, it's just a simple calculation calculation mm -hmm. and all of these numbers originally the data came from the government i think it was the eia the environment i can't even remember which right. organization it was but you can google it and find all this data yourself but they won't tell it to you the way i told it to you because nobody does the math and talks about it and this is what drives me absolutely freaking insane about this 
So if we sit there and talk about the pounds of CTU, CO2 per million BTU, I mean, that's the metric everybody's trying to get at. So to get at a natural gas, when you're using that as the fuel to generate the power, the pounds of CO2 per million is 116. This is 2020 numbers. Coal is 211. Right. Did so you have are, that on a slide somewhere? Yeah, I it's farther that. down. It's further down. It, okay. It gets uh, a little caught up and we'll see it here in a, in a minute. Okay. The one that blows me away, so natural gas is 116, coal is 211, electric is 249. Mm -hmm. And 62% of the grid is run off of natural gas and coal. So again, this is there's it's probably changed a little bit since there's uh, more coal companies the last years have gone out of business and such. Mm -hmm. But that's the number we don't talk about. That's the number you don't hear anywhere. They they kind of hint at it, but right now, putting more electric vehicles in the marketplace is worse than if we just stayed on gas. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, I mean, if really what you're trying to get at is today we need to change the, the carbon footprint, you know, you want to run everything you can on natural gas. That's mm -hmm. the bridge. Right. It's not electricity because there's tons and tons and tons and tons of natural gas in the United States. There, you know, I, I can understand coal. There's lots of issues with coal, coal mining. I mean, there's safety issues. There's, you know, lung issues, cancer yeah. issues. There's lots of reasons why we might not like coal. Um as our primary source. But again, we got tons of that. So we're using the thing we have the least of that's the most expensive and is actually the dirtiest to power everything. It just blows my mind. So let's keep going. So uh, scope yeah. three is your, is your fuel. Scope three is everything else. So that's the logistics. That's um, how efficient is your airline that you're flying on? You know, Delta right. versus United. I Did think, you yeah, fly you by plane? Or right. did you drive in an EV? Right. right. You get into all the other stuff. So when we think about in what we do for a living in powder coating, how much is scope one, how much is scope two, and how much is scope three? When, you know, you, back to your Axo Nobel comment, that's scope three for you. Mm hmm Not scope one or two. Well, and it's about we, your association with that company because they are right but that's steps. your scope three right that's my scope three so like uh i'm going to buy from you know this powder supplier because they've eliminated right. all uh paper it, it, remember right. when so they, they took out, care well, of their yeah. scope one right they took care of their scope one which all they do is paperwork right so they're like right. we're paper free we're you know so now you want to buy from me right you know which is not an it's not a good reason right <laughs> but and 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 don't, doesn't that really affect the quality how you know i don't know i don't want to go there because there's just so many little spider web places we could go uh with yes. with all of that you know um, so are you saying I should buy from a lower quality, not to say we're not pointing fingers at people, but to say, do I want to go with this company because of the lower price per, per pound that I buy the, or the quality that they sell me, or is it because of that there's, you know, they're making an effort towards, uh, making themselves look a little better 
towards climate change, right? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay. I want to come back to that. I just wrote a note on that because I want to come back to that. Yeah. Um, all right. So these are just some stats I just pulled off the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the greenhouse gas emissions can be traced to the energy generation, which is that scope two for you and I and for everybody else out there. So right. How That's they make 40%. it, their scope one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 40%. And uh, That's a lot. if 40% is off of energy generation and half of that is used in basically heavy industry and buildings and shopping malls and that kind of stuff. Uh, So there is some thought about, well, we would be more carbon effective if we all went back to paint because paint doesn't need as high a temperature. Mm -hmm. There's some other issues related to sustainability that uh, have to be considered that. But yeah, I mean, that's a, that's, if that's all your goal is, Yes, you could uh, use that as a factor if you're deciding if you want to go to powder or if you want to go back to paint. But there's a lot of other things about how the paint is made, uh, other you know issues in the environment that are reasons why people go to powder versus paint uh, that have to be considered. And again, that's a decision each company should make for their business decisions. But overall, powder is a much more environmentally friendly solution than paint, but wet paint. But and I don't think that's in dispute. But the issue of just the ovens, Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at it just in that micro part of it, yes, paint will be more uh, will consume more power or less power than powder will. Right. One of my talking points for powder coating here in Hawaii is that, you know, if you're doing restoration, um, the paint debris um, Mm -hmm. left over from a painting job where it's taping and masking and or stripping or whatever is less than what it would be in powder coatings. Right. So we're saving, you know, our talking point is we're actually saving the landfills from excessive debris from paint job cleanup. Uh, and you know, yeah, yeah. But anyways, that's how I use, um, some of these talking points to, to in my area locally. Now, this next point is using powder coating rather than solvent based coating reduces carbon footprint by 50%. So that's actually a really relative point to what I just said. The next one is industrial. That's looking at the whole value. Right. Right. Okay. Industrial heat makes up two thirds of industrial energy demand and almost one fifth of global energy consumption. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Industrial. So we use heat. Heat does so many things to so many products. Making steel. That's right. That's a huge consumer of energy. I just heard a speech just a couple of days ago from uh, Nucor, a uh, guy who's running the uh, plant in right near here in Kansas City making rebar, and they were talking about their sustainability. He spent almost as much time talking about sustainability as he did on the rest of his presentation, uh, which I always thought that was fascinating, how many slides he put in, but uh, of how aggressive the steel mills have gotten on this issue. Because steel is the most recycled product in the world. Right. Most people don't know that. But, yeah, steel's recycled almost in, you know, 
infinitely. You can recycle the same piece of steel over and over and over. Yeah. Okay. Industrial heat is often generated on site, making it more difficult to regulate than a more centralized sector, such as large thermal power generation. Well, isn't that the whole point of what Klaus Schwab and his little um, friends and um, are trying to say is, and this is what I've learned about this trend or what they're wanting is they want more centralization rather than decentralization. So uh, they're out to kill small business. Which put it, to flows put it into that next statistic. Mm-hmm. Approx- this was shocking to me. Uh, approximately 75% of manufacturing companies have less than 25 employees. Yeah, that, that definitely plays into it. Okay. So as we think about uh, another related interesting factoid off of that, uh, Chris Keel, who, if you follow him, uh, he's an economics guy. He does a lot in our industry. Yes, I love that guy. from Kansas City. Just love him. And he said that when they measure the number of employees in an industry, the government does, you know, you and I are not counted as in manufacturing. We're counted in management or administrative or accounting or whatever. Uh, They don't count the entire uh, Mm. percentage of people employed. They just count the people on the floor and direct supervision. Okay. So in terms of human resources and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this goes to what this is going to talk about what I just uh, talked about. So a, a... You can go ahead and read it if you like. Okay. The amount of heat energy available to be released by the transformation or use of a specified physical unit of an energy form, e.g. a ton of coal, a watt hour of electricity, a cubic foot of natural gas, or a pound of steam, the amount of heat energy is commonly expressed as British thermal units, BTU. That's what we all use to, that's the, phys, I'm not even sure when that term was coined, it's probably in the 1700s or something, but mm-hmm. uh, that's how they measure the power. Uh, it, it, there's, it's, I think the amount of energy it takes to increase water by one degree, something related to that. Right. The, well, the engineers on this. Yeah. It would make sense that they came up with it back then because it was in the industrial age, right? So right. that they all wanted to mass it out, right? Um, so this next one is regarding um, CO2 combustion, fossil fuels. The amount of CO2 produced when a fuel is burned is based on the carbon content of the fuel. The heat content or the amount of energy produced when a fuel is burned is mainly determined by carbon C and hydrogen H content of the fuel. Natural gas is primarily methane CH4, which has a higher energy content relative to other fuels. And thus it has a relatively lower CO2 to energy content. And then there's, there's your breakout, right? Um, Which was natural gas is 116.65 BTUs per pound. It Propane. creates, uh, yeah, creates 116 pounds of CO2 to for a million BTUs of heat. A million. Yeah, there you go. Uh, propane is 138 
2.63 pounds of CO2 per million, and coal is 211.06 pounds per, per million. That's a good fact. Because people need to be reminded, that. Marty, they need to be reminded of what, okay, what are we talking about here? Let's lay out the facts. And that's why I like this presentation so much. Okay, so what's this next one about? Uh, this is the follow-up on the electric side. Okay. In 2020, power plants that burn coal, natural gas, and petroleum fuels were the source of about 62% of total U.S. electricity generation. Total U.S. electricity generation of 4.01 trillion watts, kilowatts, hours, resulted in the emissions of 1.71 billion tons of carbon dioxide. Clear so as this, mud, isn't it? Yeah. So this is this is just nor U.S., not even North America. This is just U.S. Yes. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> well, and it, a lot of this, like I said, is just basic math. But someone right. told me the statistic and I didn't believe him. And then I just, just Google it and mm -hmm. you can find out that, you know, this is the numbers coming out of the government. That's where all of this comes from mm -hmm. or physics. You know, it, it's, you know, just a known fact. And you just do a couple calculations and there it is. And this isn't, okay, oh, so power plants. So those that burn for electricity, giving us electricity is where you're going. Because right. the electric. So this is all scope two. Right, scope two. Uh, so pounds of CO2 per mil parts per million kilowatt hours, this equaled to about 0.85 pounds of CO2 emissions per kilowatt hour. And then, um, the pounds of CO2 per million BTU it, for electricity is 248.9. It's just awful. Uh, it's hard to read, much less. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just Googled it and I got a lot of this data. And then I had somebody fact check it for me. But that's what takes us to, it, you know, this is just the pounds of CO2 per million kilowatt is uh, you know, a fairly well-known thing. But the problem is we're talking French and German. Right. We've got to get to the same language of BTUs for us to be able to compare and contrast different energy sources. Yeah, and so what we did with the first slide is that's just a direct, that's just a direct math equation to, the, to, to those, um, to natural gas, petroleum, and coal as to what they do produce in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. And now with the second slide, we're now taking that and then we're having to convert it into electricity, right? And so, so we're converting it from electricity to BTUs. Right. But what I'm saying is it takes all these petroleum, natural gas, and coal to run these power plants. Mm -hmm. um, we're excluding solar at the moment, right? You know, we, let's not go there. Um, but, it, you know, so it's taking more to produce things in and convert it into electricity 
than it is for it to be just be pumped direct into your shop or your gas fired oven. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is, I, I mean, you giggled, you laughed, it's laughable, right? So how, how is it that Bill Gates and all these people are saying, yeah, we need a hundred percent electricity. Well, it makes sense. Well, now the other side of this is that what they're basing this off of is that if they can convert the electric utilities as fast as possible to some kind of renewable energy to generate the power, Oh my God, the, the ratios just flip dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, it would never be 100%. We, we know that because there's so much technology that still has to be invented to do some of this stuff. Right. And again, looking at the other side, because you know I like to present both sides of the story, even if I have a particular view of it, is that it, I use NASA when we went to the moon as a great example of how many inventions came to our society, how much betterment of society happened because of what NASA invented that, mm-hmm. you know, Velcro, you know, who thought that that was going to be the big one? And you know, I make the joke about, well, we got Tang, so that was the negative side and Velcro was positive. <laughs> but um, there's so many other inventions that came right. out of NASA that I, you know, I can't even think of them off the top of my head right now, but there's well, tons of them. optics for one, optics. Yeah, yeah. It, that has changed the world mm-hmm. and not for its intended use. Other, other entrepreneurs, other inventors took that, turned it into something else, turned it into something else. There's no question with the amount of money being thrown at this issue that there are going to be amazingly wonderful inventions that are going to come out of this because there's so much research being done. So that's the good side. The good side is society will be better because we're going to invent all kinds of new great ways to do stuff. We just hope they can invent it not using batteries that use child labor in third world countries. Um, They haven't kind of solve that problem. But they're taking the absolute leap of faith that we will invent them. And I agree, I think we will. Just a question Mm -hmm. of when. And how much damage do we have to do between here and there to get there? And that's what your video was talking about, is you don't know when or if we're going to get there. And you don't know how much it's going to cost to get there. But we're going to absolutely sandbag everything we're working on now and just, you know, put pour cement over everything in the meantime, because, um, you know, we want to convert to over there. But I, I, I can't disagree with the idea. We, we do all know that the earth is getting hotter. We don't, you know, different people argue about what the cause of that is. Right, right. But I don't think there's any argument. Our, our, our planet's getting hotter. And that's kind of, you know, unless you're a flat earther, that's true. That's, <laughs> not, that's not debatable. It's just a question of compared to what, compared to when, right. and what is the cost. That's yeah, where everybody gets lost in the arguments and loses sight of what are we trying to achieve here? Right. I know. I, I agree with you 100% on, on this. Um, okay, so electrification movement. That's a mouthful. Um, Tactics to drive behavior, and you have listed four here. Tell tell us what you mean by electrification. What did I say? Electrification. <laughs> I have to look it up yeah, again. That's right. That's right. Movement. Movement. Electrification. Movement. We're you know this is the Bill Gates camp, right? So what they're trying to do to bridge that gap 
in, well, we're not there yet. You know, the, the, that nasty electricity is so dirty. This is how they're trying to, uh, they're either trying to tax you Say, right. and we've heard about carbon tax, and that's never really that. caught yeah. on. Yeah, we've known about yeah. that a long time, and it's never really caught on. Um, cap and trade, where you're coming up with a credit that you then can sell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's different, some of these are have a lot of overlap. But the the basic uh, carbon capture sequestration, say, that was hard for me to say. It's Friday night. I need a glass of wine. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you need wine. on this podcast. <laughs> There's um, no, there's no restriction there. I've had beer. Yeah, well, see, I'm had, still in my <laughs> office, and I don't have any beer here. But if I had been at home, I'd have a glass of wine by now. Um, the the carbon capture is the idea of uh, basically taking, and you know, there's some again, there's some really wonderful things that can happen out of this if we just get out of our little pods of po- political. Yes, you know, I think battle. that has a lot to do with it. You know. So if, uh, if we can say, all right, you want to pollute all you want. All right. You got to pay this money. There's a downside to that. But the good side is where the money is supposed to go is like to the Amazon to prevent them from deforesting the Amazon to do farmland. Instead, keep, you know, plant trees there instead of, you know, uh, growing wheat or whatever. Right. Um, there's pluses and minuses. You can argue the policy all you want, good or bad you know, where, where on that spectrum you, you happen to hit, but the idea of it, I mean, how can anybody argue with that? I, I love trees. I want more trees. My dad, everybody does, right. Everybody yeah. loves trees. Um, that, you know, again, we actually have more trees. The question is where the trees are. Uh, so, you know, it, it's always, we get caught in these polar positions and realize that the low-hanging fruit of either side, if you take those out, the messy middle is that part where it, you have to start to really make value judgments. You have to start making tactical judgments. You have to start doing pros and cons because the low-hanging fruit is, is over with. And that was the easy stuff that everybody says, yeah, we want to do that. But once you get into that messy middle, I, I read a great article in Harvard Business Review about messy middle. and It stuck with me. Um, it's that hard part in the middle the the 80% that's really, really hard. And I don't Mm -hmm. have any great solution for it, but I can sell you something that might help. (laughs) Right. Um, I mean, there are ways that some businesses are doing this now. I mean, albeit very surfacey and, you know, um, like, you know, how nonprofits, if you, you know, buy this product, we'll give, you know, or even for-profit businesses, right? Where they're, you're seeing it in retail and, and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, greenwashing well, kind of stuff. Yeah, washing is really what it is because like, you know, if you buy this sweater from me, we'll give like, you know, all the kids in Bangladeshi, you know, some money, you know, whatever, or we'll make sure we'll, we'll put them in some orphanages for you. And so you'll feel better about buying our product and stuff like that. Well, so and great. that's what some of this is about is if you feel bad about it, you can pay money to have somebody to offset something to uh, it's a tax. It's a fee. It's, you know, you can call it whatever you want, but all of this is about the idea of paying money to somebody for your bad, bad, bad behavior. Yeah, 
to feel better about yourself. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I feel that that's like a negative reinforcement of business, but whatever. I mean, I guess that's the way they, they want to look at the world. Um, uh, Also there's like, that's coming to mind right now is the B structured corporations, right? I don't know if you've heard of B structured. (laughs) So there's, you know, uh, C corp, S corp, and there's B corp and B corps are set up to similar to what the example I gave where they're, you know, doing this very fluid, progressive, uh, take a, the product we sell, recycle, you know, use recycled products with it. Right. Or it's plastic or it's, it's a phone case, right. Or something. And we take these old bottle water bottles and we make them into phone cases and then we sell them. And then the part of our profit goes to the kids in, you know, some poor kid in a third world country or something like that. It's that's, that's the nature of it. I'm being very superficial with it since we're talking about superficial behavior, but uh, you can, you can Google what a B Corp is. I I'd be interested to see if we could challenge the industry to become the first B Corp, you know, a powder coating company could be the first B Corp. How would they do that? You know, that, that'd be an interesting uh Interesting challenge. This is a very busy slide. I'll, oh, I'll, yeah. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Maybe do we do we want to skip this one? I yeah, mean, that, okay. the Epri, that's what I was talking about. Um, it's very in the weeds. Yeah. Okay. But, we'll but the on. only thing that we care okay. about there is it's just showing how much um, uh, power that our process heating uses compared to all these other verticals. Okay. Okay. Um, how about this one? Carbon capture sequestration. Uh, well, this is just going through just as a general oh, oh, oh. education. Okay. For people to understand what it is. Yeah. Getting more definitions detailed. I pulled off of the uh, internet. Yeah. And we've covered, we kind of covered that. Okay. Um, so, so hydrogen's an interesting one. Yeah being heavily researched. Well, they've been, yeah, that and geothermal. Uh, they have that here on the big Island, uh, which was threatened by the volcano of all, ironically. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't help things. You well, know. you know, if we have a volcano that will shield all this and we'll <laughs> go into a nuclear, we're going to winter and we won't have, we won't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But, but okay. Here, I want to talk about hydrogen for one quick second. Yes. So uh, I've been doing, uh, working on some research on this. Um, there's a lot of money going at this, trying to figure out, because I, I did read that Hawaii's, you know, already got a little hydrogen in the, in the gas supply, like 5%. And so there is conversations about different ways hydrogen can be used as part of the gas supply or to replace, you know, zero, you know, 100% natural gas, 100% hydrogen and something in between. How will, uh, is that a way? There's obviously a lot of issues. You, know, you talk about NFPA. Yeah. Uh, NFPA put in their 86, which is controls ovens and furnaces. Uh, I think the only major change they made was that, you know, different fuels 
They, I don't even think they use the word hydrogen, but they just brought up the different fuels because they know that there's been so much, you know, somebody's going to figure out something and going to want to do something. But, you know, you sit there and think about NFPA. What is it going to take for them to create codes and standards for what is a safe oven? Mm-hmm. When we have to start with a whole new power, it's just, oh, God, right. this is going to get messy quick. Yeah. And, and speaking to about like alternative sources, nu- nuclear fission, right? Supposedly, remember that was like last year or the year before where they just had this, we figured it out. Now what? <laughs> you know, who knows? But we're here we are uh, on the nuclear. This is just regular nuclear power. Uh, nuclear is the most expensive utility to generate electricity. What? What? I didn't know Regulations. That. Oh, because of regulations. Okay. 20% of U.S. electricity comes from nuclear. France gets the bulk of their energy from nuclear. Yeah, we know that. Um, Many universities in the U.S. have reactors. No way. Yeah. I got that from Chris Keel. I didn't know it either. Yeah. Small modular plants are the future. Really, I didn't know that. I didn't know about the expense and I I don't remember where I got that from, but uh, it's just some basics about uh, a lot of times when something's really expensive, it's the way you're doing it, not what it is. So, you know, if they can get to small modular plants where people are are a little less, I mean, there's little nuclear plants, I guess, like on so many college campuses, we didn't know this. And, you know, you think about a nuclear powered sub, I mean, there's, Nuclear power happening in a lot of places. It's, we just don't think about it. Yeah, it, it's mobile, but it always has to be around water. And that's always the, the takeaway, right? You know, or the, you know, because when, look at Daiichi, you know. Um, yeah. Although they said it wasn't as bad. I just watched a documentary on that. And they said all that stuff going out into the oceans really wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. So there's that. No four-headed fish? No, four, yeah, I was going to say no four-headed fish yet. Um, impact on manufacturing. Okay, so let's dive into this. Market forces driving change. More government regulations and laws are coming. Uh, yay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can't even begin to keep up with that. <laughs> the U.S. SEC has pro- proposed a new- Because five- you know, Biden just put out a new EV standard. Oh, I think- It's going to make it so- uh, it's almost going to make it hard for U.S. car makers to even make gasoline cars. It's like by 2030 well, or something. It's like, they're oh doing both. They're doing both. They're kind of regulating them and incentivizing them at the same time, right? Yeah. And this was, uh, just to bring this up as like uh, maybe some proof or validation, this uh, last uh, SEMA event, which is the automotive industry, you know, celebration or Disneyland uh, happens in Vegas every year. I, I got to go for the first time in November. Um, they had major manufacturers not come to the event. In fact, the because, only one, because I think they're kind of saying, mm, should we really be about the aftermarket and fuel loving uh, fans of cars? Is that really good optics for us when we're trying to change? Um, the only people that were there were Dodge. But I, it was strikingly noticeable from the people that I talked to 
that had been attending the event in previous years to, I mean, cause Ford huge, they take over like a huge section of one of the trade areas, you know, where, warehouses, uh, all of them, Nissan, um, Ford, Chevy, uh, Toyota wasn't there. They had just some sponsored Toyota trucks, but like, other than that, I don't think Toyota was there. It was just Dodge and it was crazy because they had the challenger. So like they were bringing, right. you know, so yeah, it's, it, yeah, that was, I didn't know, but when somebody mentioned it, I'm like, oh, wow, that's kind of, and this was right around when uh, Biden was trying to dangle some kind of like incentive for them to change into EV. Well, yeah, because the new, uh, hang on, I want to stay there for a second. Uh, the, the new thing that I, I guess was on emissions. So they did a regulation on emissions. Mm-hmm. So for U.S. makers to create cars, they're not regulating the cars themselves. They're just regulating the emissions, which is the back door of how you get to the exact same place. But this next one, it, I don't know how this is going to come out or what's going to happen. But the U, the SEC, which regulates all public companies in the United States, uh, is considering a rule and it's I think it just closed on its comment period, which, you know, any kind of rule like that, they have a public comment period. People write and say, that's horrible. That's fabulous, whatever. And they haven't decided what they're going to do. There's been a lot of pushback on this, but I I, I wouldn't take a bet either way. But basically what they want to do is, like I said, it's a 500 page rule. But the key is, is that public companies will have to report in their annual, you know, in their financial filings about their scope one, two, and three. And scope one's fairly easy. I mean, if you're a big company, you got a budget, you can measure your scope one. Your scope two, okay, there's a number you can get from the government. Scope three is just so hard to measure. I don't know how anything, I think they're just making up numbers out of the air. I don't know how they're going to do it. But if they have to do that, that's going to be a game changer. Because that means all the multi-billion dollar companies, all the public companies in the United States are going to have to figure out scope one, two, and three. That is huge. Right. And I think that, again, it will lead to a um, these multinational companies. It will lead to them buying out regional businesses so that they can control that because they won't be able to control that unless they own it. Yeah. So this is part of the, hey, I need my car fixed or I need to go see my powder coater down the street. Oops, he's not there anymore because he got bought out by or had to close his business because of XYZ multinational company who's now able to do your powder coating for you or your stuff for you because that's the only way they know how to control it. So think of it so, like the end game there. That's what I'm thinking. Read that last bullet. Up to $5 trillion annually will be invested in sustainability by 2025. Approximately $11 trillion worth of assets will have to be retired. Well, that's good for you, Marty. Um, that's not good for anybody. That's well, creates no. so much waste. Well, yeah, um, that's that's a good point too. Where are we going to do with all that? Yeah, that just that equipment. just makes inflation worse. Oh. Because all this investment, I mean, I could have the economic side of it, 
that so much of this money is being driven into the economy, which is just making we wonder why our inflation won't go down. This is one of many reasons why that's true, is that they keep pumping money into the economy through trying to force and incentivize these behavioral change. Right. And wouldn't that, you know, would that equate to something as an example, right? Just an example. Uh, if you're trying to throw your old uh, oven away and you have to get to, in order to buy a new one, you're going to have to pay some kind of a tax or burden, you know, you're going to have to pay for that to go away, right? That's a way of yeah, capturing I, tax I money. I don't know or, how they'll do it. Uh, I, I haven't really dug into that report. It's just something I found as far as a data point. But uh, that's an important one, though. But, you know, you sat there and look at that video where they were talking about 90 trillion. I mean, we just throw around T's like <laughs> T's is the new B, I guess. T's uh, the, yeah, I, B's I, are the new T's or T. Yeah. Right. From the 90s. Right. We used to talk about B's in the 90s and we're like, oh, you know, but now it's T's. OK, market forces slowly, ch slowly change the slowly. U.S slowing change. Oh, slowing change. Yeah. The U.S. Supreme Court ruling to limit EPA's regulatory power may slow SEC drive for disclosure. Okay. So the, uh, this is that regulatory issue of whether or not you consider it overreach or not is not so much the point. Point is Supreme Court, I think it was in the last six months or so, nine months, I don't remember, sometime in the last year. Um, the EPA had come out with some regula regulations on carbon and uh, the Supreme Court said, nope, nope, you went too far. You can't do that. And how that is that cooling the uh, idea? It's, it's setting standards on how far a regulatory agency can go without going through uh, elected officials. Either that or could it also mean when they start to limit a certain department in the government, could it mean the potential for a new department to be made? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, something but else if that's the more SEC, overreaching. If the SAC thing goes in, it will immediately be met with lawsuits. They'll oh, go definitely. Over the court. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next one is heavy industry industry has limited options to replace fossil fuel fuels. Electrical grid capacity po poses limitations on electric electric <laughs> electrification. Yes, I think that so, was abundantly clear on the la the last couple slides above that we just. Did. I uh, one of my great statistics or comments I've read on that one. Somebody was talking about can the grid handle all the EVs? You know, I just like Google those kinds of stupid questions and such. And one of the articles said, well, yes, it can. You know, not everybody's going to plug in at the same time. And I'm like, have you <laughs> lost your mind? Everybody's absolutely going to be plugging in at the same time. You get home from work about mm -hmm. six, you plug your car in, you go in, get dinner, and you go to bed. And when you come up in the morning, you unplug your car. Everybody's going to do that. And they, then the article went on to say, well, of course, if everybody plugged in at the same time, we couldn't begin to do it. I'm like, ugh. Yeah, well, and and they'll. I'm surprised they didn't bring up the gig economy because that seems to be the one that they. Oh, but the gig economy, this and the gig economy, that you know. Uh, okay, yeah, everybody wants to 
stay up all night and, you know, powder coat or drive an Uber or something like that, you know. New technologies and applications like hydrogen and carbon capture are not proven for mass adaption. And cost to transition away from fo fossil, what are the costs maybe, right? Or Well, it's just they're so high mm -hmm. that, you know, the economics of this will at some point become a real factor in all of this. Because just like people flipped out about the uh, uh, gas stove, partly because that just seems so, you know, getting people's underwear kind of thing. But it's also because I don't want to get rid of my gas stove. You know, it's going to be expensive to buy a new stove. You know, you're not going to buy a new stove for anything under, you know, couple thousand dollars. Not everybody is real happy about the idea of doing that. So yeah. th there are hard costs that have to be dealt with in our economy. And what risks are we willing or what risk or benefits are we willing to take based on that? You know, is that the best place to spend our dollars? Right. It's hard choices. Okay. Carbon reduction is everywhere. 90% of S&P 500 companies have published sustainability reports up from 20% in 2011. So yeah, this is a, new, this is a trend. Uh, 163 Fortune 500 companies have formal climate targets. Yeah. And that includes several of the multinational powder suppliers. Um, you know, when you read Coatings Magazine, they're coming out with this or that. That's what they're mentioning well and i think the thing that can build off of that is um millennials a lot of this we think about it's all the government regulating it's not it is our society and what the people in our society are prioritizing and whether or not those voices are um too loud for their the number of people they represent. That's a, a you know again a different podcast, but the the millennials of our society that age group is very concerned about this. They grew up on this. You know, yes, I was going to say they yeah they uh, we broke it now they got to fix it. Wow wow wow, and they look at it as it's just a given fact that they don't have you know, the perspectives that, you know, it's just, why aren't you doing this? This is just a fact. This, this is absolutely what we should be doing. They don't have any, and I'm, I'm making a huge generalization here. Yeah. Right. Um, but if you look at that and you're trying to get employees in a tough environment to get employees, and it's going to stay tough probably for another decade and based on, you know, what demographics are saying, and you can't get employees and you want to hire anybody under the age of 45, you damn well better deal with this and have yeah. something because your employees will not tolerate you not doing it. Now, mm -hmm. that's, again, a blanket statement for gross generalization. But my experience has been that's, you know, and I've talked to other people. It's it, there's a lot of truth to that. So if we worry about what the government's regulating, what's where the momentum of this is is in the marketplace. And if we ignore, you know, all think about the regulations of this, the government could do nothing about this. And this would still never go away because it's in the marketplace. It's in our DNA. It's in the, our culture. 
And it, it, it has taken on, you know, it has a life of its own right now. And it might, if the next president is a Republican, this might moderate some, but I do not think it's going to go away. Right. And I think where the rubber meets the road is it's, you know, just like this picture, it's a great slide actually where you've captured a Southwest uh, landed on their website or whatever. And it says want to offset carbon because they're obviously understanding or relating to their customer base uh, where, you know, it's this lady smiling and she's in looks like actually Maui, <laughs> believe it or not. That actually looks like Eau Valley. <laughs> and, and I can see the bridge too, because that's, which you cannot get to now because they have shut it down in order to do some upgrading. And oh. now you have to pay to enter. You have to make a reservation because this is what it's like to visit Hawaii now and in the future. If you want to go to a special hiking spot or Haleakala to see the sunrise, you have to pay to play. Mm. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, on one hand, I do see that the level of tourism here just I know I'm going on a tangent here, but just the level of tourism I see, there needs to be some level of regulation or, you know, you can't stop people from coming here because Southwest wants to make money or Hawaiian Air or whatever. But anyways, uh, this is kind of kind of funny that you pop that one in there. Um, but I think, I, like I said, the, where the rubber meets the road is this is this, there's this feel good feeling about what you're doing for the planet or making the right choices that's good for the planet. And then there's, uh, there's this harder side of the regulations, the government, the, the carbon taxes, the, the participation level of where the rubber's going to meet the road on all of this, um, and stuff. So, 